So yes, we are going to continue on in our study of Esther, and um, as you know, I have a, a question for you right off the bat just to get you started in thinking, but is the book of Esther about Esther? No. Well, if it's not about Esther, who's it about then? Well, I heard one. Is, are you in agreement, or are you going to go with that, or is there another? No. You agree? All right, good. Phew. It's glad someone agreed, so I knew PJ knew that answer, and uh, it's been interesting. We traveled a little bit this week, and um, it was, well, it was sort of interesting. Heather and I had a great time in the front seat. We were co-piloting our trip, and we were driving along up the North Shore, and Jared and PJ got into a rather lengthy debate about Esther, and they were going over all the things, and um, it got pretty deep back there. And I was like, oh, great. Now I got to preach this on Sunday morning with those two back there. So they were picking through and, you know, highlighting some things. But that is one thing that we all agreed upon, right? That the book of Esther is not about the characters. It's about God. But in that, God uses people to complete his will. And that's the great thing about the Bible. We get to see that over and over again, right? We get to, to realize that God wants to use his people. And you know what? That hasn't changed. That message hasn't changed today, right? God wants to use you today, right? And it's not just a particular time and place. It's all the time, right? God wants to use you. We just sang that song, not your will, but my will, right? Not not our personal will, but God's will, right? God's will is he wants to use you. He's got a plan for each of you, and he wants to use you. We just have to be willing, and we have to, the other song we sang, right, I will follow, right? Joe brought that up with a prayer, I will follow. Wherever God takes me, I will follow, and again, conforming to his will. So it's great. Esther works really well with everything that we've been saying, and again, it still applies today. Now, Esther is an interesting character as we've been reading and we've been studying as we've been going along, right? She's gotten thrust into this position. Again, the, the Jews are in captivity, Right? She's among them. She's not a likely candidate, but she's been chosen to be the new queen. And again, if you haven't read it, go back and read through chapters 1 through 3. You can see how the story's been building. And then we've kind of gotten to this pinnacle point now where Esther's being called upon to stand up for her nation, for her people. Right? Mordecai has encouraged her, and Esther's gone back and said, hey, pray with me. Well, we don't know about pray with me. I should say fast with me. We assume that they were praying as well, but fast with me for three days because I've got an important decision to make on what the next step is. Right? We left off in chapter four a couple weeks ago. Jared filled in last week with Psalms. It had nothing to do with Esther, but it certainly had a lot to do with God. Right? By the way, if you ever want to answer that question, you know, what the book of the Bible is about, just say, God, you're always safe with that. Right? Because it is. It's his word. It's always about that. And I know some of you are struggling. I'm helping you out here a little bit, all right, for future questions. All right, so we've come to this point. We've got to the point of where Queen Esther has to make a decision. And again, it could cost her her life. And it's a real danger. It's a real threat. King Xerxes has his rules. He has his protection. And she's right now at the doorstep of making a request, which could cost her her life. But if she doesn't, God's going to have to use someone else or use a different way. God's still going to protect his people. We know that. We saw that throughout all history. 
But who's he going to use to do that? And that's where we are right now. We're, we're actually on chapter 5, and we're actually going to do 5 and 6 because they kind of go together. Again, this was written so that you'd read it all at once as one long story, but because I know some of you do want to get out of here eventually, we, we break it up a little bit in sections. But I would encourage you to continue to read through this. But chapter 5, we're right at that point now, and 6 goes into that same place. And I titled this morning's message a little bit different, Pride Goes Before the Fall. Pride Goes Before the Fall. And I'll get to that. Again, the title doesn't lead the passage, but it comes out at the end. So hang with me. We'll get to that and why I chose that title. But chapter 5, verse 1, it says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court in the palace. In front of the king's hall, the king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. When the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Again, culturally, we know there's a couple things going on here, right? The queen didn't have access to the king. She just couldn't go and ask him at any point in time or go see him, right? She had to be allowed to be let in. And so she gets pretty dolled up, right? She's going to see the king. This is the most powerful man in their nation, in the world at this point. And she stands out front just hoping that he will see her and grant her access right? The whole scepter is part of that, right? That was either to let in or to be killed. There weren't a lot of other options. There was only two options, right? In fact, the, the scepter itself is said to be about six feet tall and had a little knob on the end of it, right? And again, it was even for that was part of the protection, right? If he had to hit them with a knob, but if he held it out in submission saying, you could come to me, right? And so he does that. He allows Esther to come in. Again, it says he was pleased, right? We know Esther's beautiful. This is his queen. She's gotten to this spot. And so we also know that God is at work here, right? Because things would have been done and over with right then and there. If he had said no and not allowed her in, there's no request. There's a day coming, right? There's a day of judgment coming for the Jews, right? It's already been set in place. Haman's already set the stage for the Jews to be killed, we talked about that as well, right? The perm, the casting of lots, the 13th month, that's all coming up. And this is that in-between time. But the king allows her in. He's pleased and he says, hey, you, what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom. I joke with PJ every once in a while, I'll say the same thing. Hey, honey, they can have up to half the kingdom. Well, our, our kingdom's not very much, so I'm not really offering a lot. But again, it's, it's not physically the whole kingdom. It's a a reference to, it's an important request. You can have almost anything. I'm willing to give you a lot, is really what that means. And we're going to see that because he's going to say that often, right? So the king is willing to give her a lot in this. He's not giving up his power. He's not giving up his authority, but he's, he's willing to give her whatever she requests. And it may be a lot. Again, we know this story. It is going to be a lot from the king's perspective. Verse 4, this is Esther's reply to the king when he asked her that question, and 
She says, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. King says, bring Haman at once so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. All right, interesting. Anyone know why Esther did it this way? Shoot, me neither. I was hoping you guys had to know. We don't know. Commentators don't really know exactly why she set this up to, to prepare a banquet. Right? There's a risk here. He's already, the king's already said, what do you want? Now, you know me. I'm from New England, right? I'm direct. I would say, okay, jump in. Esther puts it off a little bit. Here's my, my two cents worth. And again, and there's a lot of commentators that have different, differing opinions about this, but I think it's because Esther knows the timing's not quite right yet. Right? It's not quite the right time to jump in and give the question. Right? Also interesting that she asked for Haman to be there, right? This is not the, the normal, right? This is not how it's usually done. And we studied at the beginning, remember chapter one, the king threw a great banquet, right? And what did he do? He invited everybody, right? All the nobles, they had the whole big crowd, went on for days and days. She's prepared a banquet just for the king and for Haman. It's interesting. I also believe that she's being led by God here through this, because again, he's setting the stage for what's going to happen. So we can trust in that. But it's interesting. It's interesting as you read and you study that, right? Again, they're trying to do what Esther has asked. As the story goes on, so the king and Haman went to the banquet, Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you and what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant the petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Again, like I said, I think it's a matter of timing, Right? But there's risk involved, right? She's already taken the first step, and she's been able to go in and ask the question, and she knows the king's pleased, and now she's putting him off for another day. There's risk in that, right? In her position, what if the king changes his mind? You know, we know a little bit, just a snapshot of the king, right? Pretty, you know, he can go into rage pretty quickly, right? He reacts irresponsibly. Right? Remember, he divorced the first queen just because she didn't obey him. And here Esther's in this precarious position, and yet she's holding him off. He's asked twice now, and she said, well, hey, come to another banquet tomorrow. I'll let you know. Right? Building the suspense a little bit. But it's at risk. Again, I would also say that Esther is being led by God throughout this whole process because we know what's yet to come. Well, for you that have read ahead. If not, we'll find out here in a few minutes. So. Verse 9. So Haman went out that day, happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and 
Jeshurun, his wife, Haman boasted about to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways that the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. All right? The other player in this, right? The other part of this is Haman. And this is where the, the pride kind of comes in, in case you were wondering. This is kind of where you can start to see it developing, right? Right? Haman thinks, I've got it, right? I'm second in command. I'm all set. The queen's even invited me to this banquet. It's just a private gathering. This is not normally done, but I'm in a special place, right? I'm feeling good. And not only once, but twice I get to do this. I've got the king's ear, right? This is, this is what's going on in Haman's head. But yet, even with all that, as happy as he is, what else is going on? His hatred for the Jews, right? He can't get away from it. I love this story because it, it so often is the case, right? We, we get thinking things are going really well, and yet there's an undercurrent. There's something else that's laying there in the weeds, right? Something else that's not quite right. And sometimes it takes those situations where God has to bring that to the forefront. But what's really going on here is his pride, right? He's gotten puffed up, right? But yet he hates the Jews, and Mordecai just becomes the target, but really it's the whole nation of Israel that he's after. Again, he thought he already had a plan. He thought it was all set. And, you know, like most people, hey, I just wanted to get, get there. I want to get it done. And the longer he sees Mordecai, the, 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 the greater his hate grows. And so we have this undercurrent going on in his life. Verse 14, he has a wife, though, that reminds him. Good wife that speaks to him, right? Verse 14, his wife and all of his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to the height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go to the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up, right? Bad advice. We'll see that play out, right? But this huge pole, this wooden place to hang, you know, 50 cubics is estimated around 75 feet. So it's high. It's so everybody can see what's going on, to put on display, right? Basically, his wife and friends are saying, well, if Mordecai is your problem, here's a solution. Not a great one, but it's a solution, right? Build a place where we can put him, get rid of him, be done with it. Now, if you truly have this position with the king, you should be able to request it, and that's what should happen. Now, you can also see why I didn't stop right there on, verse, on chapter 5, right? As I kind of, we've built up to it, and we're at the climax, and you know, that would be cruel. And even I'm not going to be that cruel. We're going to actually go into chapter 6. Again, it's a narrative. It's a story that goes along, and so we don't want to miss any of it. But you can see how the progression has come. And we're ready the nation of the story. And what happens next is critical to the nation, to Mordecai, to Esther, and even to Haman at this point. So chapter 6. 
That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of the reigns, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bethel and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Verse 3 says, What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Nothing has been done for him, his attendant answered. Then the king said, Who is it? Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. That's a lot there, right? Again, it's setting the, the stage for another little, little mini scene here, right? The king in between the banquets here is having trouble sleeping. Right? He can't sleep, and it's not normal. He, he's, he's having trouble, and he's, he's probably disturbed. Right? We know God's causing this, right? God's can, God can cause people not to sleep. I remember getting advice way back when that if you have trouble sleeping, that it's a good time that God's got you awake for a purpose pray and start praying, right? Well, the king's not going to do that. He's not a, a believer. And again, he's, he's ordered the, the book of Chronicles, right? The history, right? Jared, how would that work for you? you? You love history. I'm not sure that would put you to sleep. For me, I'd be out in two seconds, right? It wouldn't take me long either. Obviously, the king's probably more like me in this part of it, that the history puts them to sleep. And they probably had done this before, Right? Having someone just read over and over the, the story you already knew would put him to sleep. And it just so happened that they read the part about Mordecai, right? Remember, Mordecai had found favor with the king because he had thwarted the assassination plot. We, we have that right here. It even reminds us that. We read about that. And interesting. Just so it happens, he didn't get recognized for it, right? Not fully. The king didn't reward him for this. Again, going against custom, going against culture. This was all things that normally would be done. And so the king, in his haste, says, oh, we need to do this right now. We missed an opportunity. This guy did something for us very important. He, he ratted out these people that were going to kill me, and yet we haven't honored him. And so the king says, well, who, who's in the court? Again, he's looking for one of his nobles to take on this task. And lo and behold, who is there? Haman. Just happened to be coming into the court. See how God's at work? Again, sometimes we're slowing it down a little bit. We can see that God is at work each step, even the little details. God is at work. Again, it's not by chance. It's not by just the normal proceedings of life, these are all planned out moves. And God's brought this together for this time. Right? So Haman's in the court, and so he comes in. Again, Haman's motive is totally wrong, right? Haman wants to go in and have Mordecai killed. He's he's built the pole, he's all set, he's got the favor, he's hoping that, hey, the king's going to say yes, and I'm going to get rid of my arch enemy. And then a few months later, I'm going to get rid of the whole nation. I'm going to finally get what I want. But God's in control. We see that in the next couple of verses here. Verse 5. So his attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. The king says, bring him in. 
verse 6. When Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for a man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden. horse, one with a royal crest placed on its head, and then the robe and the horse to be entrusted to the one of the king's most noble princes. Let the robe, the man, the king delights in honor, and lead him to the, the, through the yeah, lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, "This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor." See how pride has gotten in the way, right? Haman's so deceived; he he thinks it's him, right? And so he's trying to set himself up. Say, hey, here's what needs to be done, right? Get the get the robes, the, the king, you know, next in command. This is how I want to be honored, right? Haman's looking out for himself. He's saying, hey, this is how I want to be presented to the crowds. Get the horse, right? Put me up on high. The, the crown, right? The king's seal. I don't know how the commentators go all sideways on how the horse and the crown, because it wasn't put on the person's head. It would be on the horse's head and how that would stay on. I don't know. If Scarlett was here, we'd ask her how that's possible. I don't know. It's not in not that important. It's just a detail on this point. But the fact is, they want to lead him through, right? He set himself up. He thinks it's going to be him. But it's not. Right? Pride's just beaming. He's blinded by it. Pride does that, doesn't it? It blinds us, right? And again, I don't think there's anyone here this morning. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I think we'd probably all, at some point in time, we all get prideful. It comes up in many different ways and many different forms. But it is the truth, right? Pride blinds us. We don't see those things. Quite often it takes someone else or even the Holy Spirit within us to reveal that, to show us our pride. Haman's at the pinnacle of that right now. Pride's totally blinded him. He, he thinks it's all about him. Verse 10, this is the king speaking again now. It says, go at once, commanded the king. Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. Wow. Again, I don't want to be Haman, but can you imagine Haman at this point? Remember, he went in there to have Mordecai killed. And again, the author puts that in there for us, the Jew, right? Because it, it goes much deeper than just the person. It goes all the way back to the nation, his heritage. And yet, ouch, not only is Mordecai going to be honored, but guess who gets to do it? Ouch. Ouch, right? That's got to sting. Even from a human standpoint, just looking at it, that's really got to sting. But that's how far Haman's gotten. And this is part of God's correction, right? Haman's going to go from up here to really low, really quick. Again, it fits with the pride before the fall, right? Haman's going to fall pretty hard. Again, God's going to protect his people. 
Haman doesn't have a choice. And so, verse 11, we see his obedience. Again, it's, it's not optional. When you have a, a king, a ruler, and he's the ultimate say. Verse 11, so Haman got the robe and the horse, and he robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Again, how low has he gone now, huh? He had to carry it out. He had to actually proclaim the very man he hates that this is what the king, the king delighted in him. Right? Can you imagine the emotions? Can you imagine what's going on in his heart at this point? That's what pride does, though. It blinds us. We don't see it. We miss out. The story continues in verse 12. It says, After Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Jeshua, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Remember, they're the ones that had given them the advice, right? They're the ones that had told him, hey, go build the pole, go ask the king, have Mordecai killed. And now he's got to turn around and he's had to exalt Mordecai to proclaim this is who the king is really pleased with, right? So he's devastated, right? Rush home, he's in grief. I'm sure he's undone at this point. Telling them what happened. Look what happened. I went to do what you told me, and guess what? I'm sure there was some anger in there as well. And now Mordecai is lifted above. All right, we wrap this up this morning a little bit here, just the ending part of this story, and we'll do chapter 7 in a couple of weeks, I promise. But if you can't wait, go ahead and read it without me. I encourage you to do that. Finishing the verse 13, it says, His advisors... And his wife said to him, Since Mordecai before you since Mordecai before whom your downfall has started is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Again, we get some insight here as well, right? All of a sudden, his wife and his friends realize, uh-oh, Haman, you're in trouble. You're, 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 you're on the downturn. You were on the up, and now you're on the down really quick. And guess what? It's not because of Mordecai. It's because of the Jews. I love it. It's kind of tucked in there, but you can see, again, we know, because we, we know what Scripture says, right? God's chosen people, the Jews, and we see it right here, especially where they're being protected. Even to the person Mordecai. But we also know there's still something else in motion, right? This is the story within the story, right? Because remember, there's that, still that date that's coming when the nation's going to rise up against the Jews, right? They're going to kill off all the Jews. That's still in place, right? The king's word is still in motion. That's still coming. But we also have this inner battle that's going on. It's interesting that they even realize that if you're going against the Jews, if you're going against God, you're going to come to ruin. Man, if we could only get that lesson, right? If we don't grab anything else, right? Working against God is, is we're going to come to ruin. And God will use whatever he has to to get his people. God will use whatever he has to 
to get the heart, to get the heart of his people. And so he's doing that work. He's doing that on a personal level for Mordecai, but he's also doing it for the nation of Israel. And then the last part of it here, oh, and by the way, the king, right? King eunuchs come and say, hey, Haman, you have a banquet to go to, right? That second banquet. And again, talking about rushing away, probably because, guess what? At this point, Haman doesn't really probably want to go. Remember, he's just been humiliated. He's, he's down, and yet he's got this honor to go to a banquet with the king and the queen. Again, we've chosen this morning to, to focus a little bit on the, the pride issues of Haman, but again, we could also easily insert us in many ways our own pride, right? And so I would just encourage you this morning to kind of marinate on that a little bit, think about it a little bit. Right? Where are some of the areas that you've allowed pride to creep in? Where has pride blinded you from seeing God? Again, the story brings it to us as well, and there's some of those principles that we can use in this as well. And we'll get to the rest of the story next time. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would soften our hearts. That you would reveal those areas where we've allowed pride to come in. And to cloud our vision. To allow us not to see clearly. Lord, may we repent of our pride. May we ask for forgiveness. Because our pride is against you and you alone. Lord, help us to be humble and that we seek after you, Lord. Lord, we are also thankful that you are faithful in forgiving us. And Lord, we just ask that you would continue to do that work in our lives. Continue to mold us, to shape us, to be more and more like you each and every day. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for our time this morning. And Lord, as we continue our worship of you, that you would just continue to be praised. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.